Hello and welcome to the weekly reboot, your regular Friday debrief of things we've heard and seen coming from the Agile community here in Melbourne and beyond. After the first session, um, Rajesh came past and he said, oh, how, how, how are you finding things? And I said, I said, oh, I love it. I talked about, oh, it was James's talk and I said, mm. it's fantastic. I love the format because we've got a session. Well, I want to ask you all of that, but anyway, carry on. So we, we, you know, we've got the format where we, you have a session led you know, by a, or a talk yep. and then a breakout yep. for, for half an hour, 40 minutes yep. afterwards where you discuss all the things and help solidify mm. those ideas and, and bounce ideas around and, you know, and explore little bits, a little bit further mm-hmm. around from what they were talking. Well, that was Tony Fivefoot, good pal and the other co-founder of Reboot Co, who recently attended the first Agile Culture Conference. If you want to hear more about that conference from the creator of it, go to the show notes uh, where you'll find a link to an interview with Rajesh Mathur from a few weeks ago. I caught up with Tony for an experience report of the conference so you can get a little flavour of how it went. Hi, Tony. Hi, how you going? Long time since I've spoken Long to each time other since on the I've podcast. been on the podcast. Oh, good to have you. We, we got a little glimpse of you at last conference. So I wanted to ask you all about Agile Culture Conference so we could share that with our listeners a little bit. Um, so I was there on Friday um, last week. It was fantastic. What um, was the format and how was it facilitated? Yeah, so the format was um, basically there was four, four presenters during the day. The way it ran was to, to run the presentation, then followed by a breakout session where we normally sat in, in groups of about eight to ten people and talked through what they'd taken away from the talk and help solidify ideas and bounce more ideas and expand on those conversations a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That was great. Often at, at conferences you'll go to a um, you know, you go to a conference, uh, a session, mm. and absorb what you can during the session, and then immediately go straight to the next session and try and absorb what you can from that, and then go straight to the next one, and then you'll have lunch where you just catch up with some people, and then you're mm. straight back into more sessions. So it was good to have time to actually let things solidify and kind of sink in. Uh, so that was that was great. Awesome. Um, and how many people in total was it? I don't know. About. 40, 50? Yeah, I think you said range. it was going to cap it at 50. Yeah, mm. it, was, it was close to that. Did you swap tables? Did a little bit, but mostly stayed at my own table. Mm-hmm. Um, so strangely enough, there were four facilitators. Um, I was sitting at the table which had no facilitators. and um, Were you a quasi-facilitator? Oh, not me in particular, no, but our table was, was quite successful. I think we had, had some of the... Um, I think we were the, the fullest table at the end of the day. All right. So... Don't know why you drew some it people just, over to well, you. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was just <laughs> it was the, uh, the chaotic nature of our table. Yeah, right. Sure. And um, so starting off with James Ross. Yeah. So James Ross was first up. Um, he's CTO at Envato, um, and he talked about keeping culture coherent at scale. Mm. Um, really good talk. Um, what was in there? He talked about. Um, culture is how we scale relationships. So that's how he um, how he he defined it, which was a definition um, from Carolyn Taylor mm-hmm. um, from a book called Walking the Talk. Um, James always picks one or two books yes. that he takes his uh, talk. Well, he talked about that one. He also talked about Made to Stick by Dan and Chip Heath. Oh, there, you go. Uh, there we go. This is second book that he he referred to. Mm-hmm. That's the ones I noted down. Um, anyhow, the the sort of key things around how to how to scale relationships. Um, so three main things, sticky stories, explicit expectations, and cultural counterparts. Mm. And he used alliteration uh, very well to What are cultural those. counterparts then? 
So, oh, if we start with cultural counterparts. Okay, so I guess thinking through when you make an intended change to a system, um, you get dark sides or unexpected consequences. Mm -hmm. They may, may be upsides actually, but um, generally there's there's often unintended downsides. Yeah, right. And you have to have to manage those effectively. So the sorts of things we're talking about is if you set up the system for autonomy of teams, um, an unexpected or a, um, an imbalance that comes from that is inconsistency in your in your solution design or inconsistency in your you know, visual design or whatever it might be. Um, so, or another one is um, if you set yourself up for flexibility, then a downside to that is a lack of predictability mm, yeah. potentially. Um, another interesting one was positivity. So mm -hmm. they they try to use positivity at Envato as a um, a key um, thing they're trying to amplify. Um, but a problem with that is uh, multitasking or an inability to focus on one thing at a time. Because you're so saying if you're yes really positive, you're saying yes, and you're also looking at exploring lots of different options, and you can potentially all of a sudden have twenty things in flight. Yeah. So. Uh, there's downsides to that as well. So anyhow, this was about how do you actually um, amplify the uh, the good sides and dampen unintended consequences mm -hmm. around those sorts of things. That's the cultural counterpart. So um, I guess it's it's being um, aware of the fact that they they come up mm -hmm. and um, yeah, being prepared to actually do something with them. Mm. You know, um, you mentioned sticky stories, and it made me think. When I joined in Bato on my first day of work, James said, shall we catch a train together? Because he lives down the road. Mm. And during that train train trip, he gave me two stories about Invato. There we go. And they were both, just reflecting on it now, they were both, um, you know, two real strong indications of what the culture was like. One was about, oh, Fouad, the chairman, and um, I think it was... The competitive talk inside the comp inside the company got too much, like they were trash talking mm -hmm. a competitor. And apparently, Fouad said, um, came to the front and said, "You know, we don't want to talk about anyone like that. And um, if another company is better at doing what we do, then we should give them a hug and wish them all the best and do something different." Mm. Which I That's thought awesome. was a really good uh, culture story. And the other one was about um, the leaders listening to the people and changing tact on something. So it's interesting that, um, yeah, that's considered an important thing. Yeah. So he, he talked about stories quite a bit um, and the importance of them. And that was actually a theme across the whole conference, uh -huh. the importance of stories and storytelling mm. um, as a good way to help boost culture yeah. overall. And so then when you get, got in your group after that one, was it just kind of talk or did you use any kind of methods to to flesh out the discussion? Um, there were slightly different themes uh, or approaches during the day, but um, typically around our table, we just posted note ideas um, and things we wanted to talk about. Um, and they typically took a meandering path from there. Mm -hmm. um, so we'd start talking about about one thing and that would diverge to other, other pieces. But we kept trying to just bring it back to what does that mean from a cultural perspective and what mm -hmm. does it mean from a how do you develop and, and grow culture mm -hmm. effectively so so the other sorry the other key point from James which was the main part that I took out of his talk um, was around explicit expectations mm -hmm. um, you know it all comes down to we can do more together than alone mm -hmm. um, and the so an interesting part here is 
The key to scaling relationships um, is to make other people simpler. Um, or in other words, in our mental model of, of how everything works, um, we, we tend to simplify people um, down. So the, the relationships that you do have across a group can go up to, say, Dunbar's number or something in that order. Okay. Um, but all of the other people outside that, um, you have to make simplify their role in society or their role in your, in your day-to-day and how that impacts you. Otherwise, you don't have enough mental capacity to actually deal with, with them mm. and all of the relationships that they have with the other people that are in your, in oh, your okay. um, s- sphere. Um, so, re- Is it a bit reductive? Possibly. You, finance person, just give me numbers. Well, the, the, <laughs> See ya. Yeah, it, it, it kind of, in a way, although those people you have, um, it all comes down to the same thing, is that you have expectations of those people and what are the point? You have expectations of the role that they play in, in your, your view of, of mm. what's going on. So um, the good example that, that he gave was um, he asked Dan Praga, what's, um, you know, how did you get here? By train. Oh, did you say hello to the train driver? No. Oh, did you say hello to the passenger sitting beside you? No. But nonetheless, you still had expectations on those people, or more to the point, people playing those roles. So the person, the role of the train driver, you had an expectation that they would, mm-hmm. you know, drive the train, mm-hmm. um, stop at the station, stop at, actually stop at the station, or you know, and turn up roughly on time mm-hmm. to work that morning, so that the train would, would actually be there, and the the passengers um, would behave in the way that you want the passengers to behave. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're not not bumping into you all the time, or you know, reading over your shoulder, etc. So, um, and here's the $20,000 piece that James gave us and Mm -hmm. he he just gave it away and we're going to give it away to you for free right now, is that relationships fail. This is all types of relationships. Relationships fail because of unmet expectations. So what James was saying at at Envato uh, is they try to set expectations and be explicit with those expectations so that um, their relationships are stronger or, or that they, they don't fail. Hmm. Um, and yeah, he had some really good examples around how they set those expectations. Hmm. One, other, hmm. one other part uh, that James mentioned out of that, this is around in, in the cultural counterweights section, so that he spends a lot of his time just managing uh, the balance um, between two things. I can't think what they were. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> oh, intended and unintended consequences. consequences intended yeah. change and unintended consequences. Mm. Mm. Oh, he's been in that role for a long time, so he does that pretty well, I would say. A little bit related because we just last Friday published the episode with Michelle Risdale. Yes, also from Envato. Yes, that's a very Envato-centric conversation so far totally unintended <laughs> and then figure. what happened then what happened um well we had had breakouts and things like that we discussed yeah. things in more detail it was good um the next talk speaker up was jordana patterson um from world vision australia and uh, a bit later in the conversation over the day um we found out that she actually had imposter imposter syndrome mm. when she went up to talk because she's only been doing the agile for um, a couple of years but um, and works in marketing, so she doesn't come from a tech background and hasn't been doing it for 10, 20 years, like a lot of other people. Um, so she felt a little bit like an imposter, um, but happy to say that that's entirely not the case. Um, she was fantastic. 
She talked a lot more around how they used culture and mindset as the the platform for change and drove the change and the, the changes they made based on that rather than trying to introduce processes and tools and staying away from those those things mm. um, and it was fantastic lots of storytelling again um, throughout her talk um, the first 10 minutes or so was was all about storytelling and how they use it effectively um, and how they've got some incredible stories uh, to tell as part of world vision and improving the lives of people cool what was the one that made that got you right here uh probably the five-year-old girl walking i think it was three kilometers or five kilometers to get water twice a day Mm. um and if in between if she had time she could go to school Mm. um and the wonderful thing that happened when they installed a uh, a water pipeline from springs to her uh, you know to a village so she didn't have to hmm. and the you know bonus effect of that is that they can go to go to school uh, and have healthy clean water and various other things as well but going to school is such a huge thing yeah anyway that aside some of the other little points uh, from her was around language um, they stopped using agile terminology um, and avoided that and started really focusing on on, on being authentic and being real um, and not trying to worry with, with language. So they talked about you know, stop starting, start finishing mm-hmm. um, instead of talking about batch size and, and, um, and work in progress and things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, right. So you, that's more kind of, I guess, lean terminology. So they sure. even they moved away from that and just coined new terms for... Okay. Mm. Sounds good. Um, or terms that, that meant something to them. Mm. Um, there was another point around the huge importance of a single focus rather than multitasking or taking on too many pieces of work. Um, they moved away from projects uh, and more into long-lived squads of people um, to, to deliver their, um, their marketing campaigns and, and projects. Um, the uh, focus, yeah, being single-focused there helped them to really uh, own the problem that there was mm-hmm. and um, and that was a huge benefit to them. They saw yeah, much better engagement, much better um, uh, results as well. Mm. That. I also happen to know that um, Neil Killick was their coach too. Was he? Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Good she spoke him. at first conference earlier in the year. Uh, yes, this yeah. was a part two. I didn't yeah, see right. the talk at first conference. Yeah. And she speaks really well. Mm. Um, another point that came up during the day was when teams regress slightly or uh, things don't go as well in a future iteration of where they're up to. Uh, and part of that was being um, believing in themselves and, and continuing to, I guess, not feel like imposters, but that you know, they can actually keep doing this. Um, and the, you know, part of that is not paying lip service to social contracts. So, um, yeah, when you, I know um, Craig Brown will probably have a, a good um, perspective on this one, but um, social contracts are often um, written in a team, but not actually, um, not actually deeply, what's the word I'm looking for? Lived. Yes, not lived. So people pay lip service to them. Mm. They say, we're going to bring our whole self to work, or we're going to, um, you know, actively confront mm. um, things we see that are going wrong and then not really do it. 
Yeah. It's a bit like it's values, though, isn't it? In a company, Absolutely. like you can put them on a poster, but. Yeah. It's well, the cultural ethos. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of uh, challenges with those sorts of things. What notes? What sort of, just while you're trying to find your notes, what sort of people were in attendance? Um, so there were, there were quite a few people from, you know, your agile coaches from around town. There's a lot of, a lot of people were agile coaches or um, delivery um, centric people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also had some HR people, um, HR, let's call them people in culture, mm-hmm. um, and, and other people who are quite, quite un, I guess, not, not delivery focused type people um, or type roles, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, the it was quite a quite a, a variety. It was good. Cool. So who else did you had? You had Paula Ngov. Yeah. And Barton now. Paula Barton. She and, was next up. Yep. Um, I'll talk through a little bit about Paula's. So Paula talked about um, the importance of emotional intelligence um, and in building culture and and using culture as a driver for. Uh, for organizational change. Um, she also she noted in there that um, performers, uh, 90% of top performers have really high EQ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, if we focus on getting people to become, uh, to have better uh, emotional intelligence, then performance will follow. Mm. Cool. Um, so there's a bunch of points that she made around this. Um, be aware of yourself and what motivates you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to run through them quickly. Yeah, sure. Figure out how to regulate yourself. Um, so being aware and then being able to regulate and do, you know, respond effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, build an understanding of the environments. So the environment around you is really important. It's not, you can't respond the same way in every single environment because they're contextually relevant to uh, your emotional um, position. True. Um, Regulate and manage relationships. Um, this was talking about uh, in developing others, aspiring and influencing other people. Um, supporting your team in bringing the best version of themselves to work. Uh, this was a really good one. Um, they talked a bit about the Resilience Project, which um, is a project run across well, lots of different areas, um, you know, sporting teams, but also at schools. Uh, I know my kids... Um, uh, oh, yes. running through the resilience project at yes. school um, they, they talk about you know empathy mindfulness gratitude um, and self-awareness those sorts of things and the importance of bringing that into the workplace mm. so um, some of the things we that came out after the talk we did was around a gratitude thing retro um, running something like that every now and then um, mm. we're having um, a chief party officer at work that was that was another good one what was another? I'm just reading through Well, that was Sally at um, Ospost, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it probably was. Um, moving along, uh, looking for opportunities to increase diversity in your teams. Uh, now, this is a really important one. Um, you know, if you have everyone who thinks and behaves the same way, then you'll get a single flavour of ice cream out the end. Um, but it's not necessarily all that interesting. Um, so talked about diversity and it's not just skin color or race or whether you're male or female or, or you know, um, it's, it's more around, or it's that plus 
um, cognitive differences mm. um, among teams. So people who like to think of things in small boxes and people who like to think broad and wide um, and bring those together mm-hmm. um, into, into teams, having that range of thought um, around, which is really important for uh, innovation and trying to you know, drive different ways of approaching problems. Mm-hmm. And what sort of chat happened after that? It's hard enough to to recruit your team or your your workers for the diversity of all the obvious things that you can mm, see, yeah, like gender and um, um, ethnicity, yeah. let alone all the different ways that they might think. Yes, th- so there was a good discussion a bit further on um, in John Sullivan's talk about this, um, which was around um, recruiting for. Um, attributes that you like in in people and teams Um, and instead of having the manager uh, do the recruitment or do the interviewing um, pick people who have got those attributes and then get them to interview the people to Uh, to see if uh, I guess people tend to like people or hire hire people who are like themselves so get the people that have the right attributes for your environment and have them do the hiring because they're more likely to hire the people that are, have those similar attributes yeah. rather than having the manager do the hiring um, who will hire for the attributes that they like. Mm. So a good manager should be aware of that, self-awareness, um, and yeah, and not actively hire for them mm. another version of themselves, um, but more for the attributes that they're really, really looking for. Yeah. And those might change over time, of course, mm-hmm. as well. Cool. Yeah, you often hear... Um good ones saying things like this person will bring a little something different to the team or another different perspective to the team yeah it's probably if you're saying things like that that's probably a good intuition to follow yes indeed um, what else what else so some more from paula um don't forget about inclusion um i can't remember if it was her or someone else um they were saying they were one of 100 male engineers no it definitely wouldn't have been her um, <laughs> Sorry, one out of a hundred. There were hundred male engineers and one female engineer oh, in the room. I think it was someone else from uh, that sounds like from my, the audience. Um, my degree went mm. to the UK. Yeah, and and how you know it's hard to feel in, included when you're in that mm. environment. Yeah. Um, well, your only choice is to date them, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, inclusion and inclusion being such an important thing, I'll, I'll get back onto this in a few minutes as well mm. um, from a, a later talk. Um, mind your body language. This was this was a good one. A lot of people had a good good few laughs about this, but it's it's really important. Um, so this one comes a bit from um, design thinking or the design thinking work I've done is not using the word but. Oh yeah, yes and. So it's not a, that's right, yeah. So you want to use and or yes and instead of but um, in, a, in a thing. So replace it, replace it with and. But the other one was, was around using the word just. Oh yeah. And to stop using the word just. And mm-hmm. So an example is you're writing a letter, you know, I just want to check if, oh, if God, it's okay that, that I'm allowed to do this, etc, mm. um, etc. Et oh, and do you know what? There's a slight groove I've belonged to, Tony, and there's this great little um, almost a cheat sheet. What's it called? For emailing, yeah, have there's plenty that? of other words. No, I haven't seen it. Um, oh, I'll find it. The, the Michelle Gleeson shared. Yeah, Carry the, on. the conversation around this um, did highlight that quite often it's so it's just as a very passive aggressive term. Mm. Um, mm. 
uh, sorry, can be used as passive aggressive as well in a different context. So you can say, you know, why can't you just build that by the weekend? Why can't you just release it this week? Um, and it basically is quite demeaning and, and belittles the complexity of the situation. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. So there's there's a lot of uses of the word just that are that are uncool. Hmm. I kind of I think I I would probably catch myself using it like. Uh, could you just like minimizing what is the request mm. and taking away all the actually it's not a trivial thing it does kind of assume that you're um, that you know the complexity of yeah. the situation so this little cheat sheet is called email like a boss and here's an example um, instead of saying things like uh, hopefully that makes sense question mark say let me know if you have any questions um, or instead of saying no worries, no problems, say always happy to help. So I, I sometimes refer to that because I am a bit too smiley face and apologetic in emails, I think. So. Uh, that wasn't a point that came up a bit later, was around using emojis and. Um, oh, yeah, are you allowed to now? In, well, we considered it was a good thing. Using yeah, I emojis think it's a good email. Because it conveys more emotion yes. than just That's right. pouring old text. Um, although there was some in some cases need to qualify that with text as well yeah right so yeah like i'm putting an eggplant here because i want you to get eggplant <laughs> from the shops and for no other reason that's right yes or a thumbs up can be can be thought of uh convey a bunch of different things can it yes. what does it convey to you i don't know to me i've always i use thumb i think i overuse thumbs up well, we use it all the time to each other doesn't that mean okay yeah yeah right Good. i don't know it works for me, <laughs> it works for me but some people did did yeah. We're concerned about that. Yeah. Um, oh, some other interesting things. There was goodbye cards. So, imagine if you could if you could get the messages from goodbye cards earlier. Oh. So you know, so Paula talked about leaving um, DS after ten-ish years. I think yeah. it was over ten years, and getting this wonderful goodbye card that just had all these amazing things in it, saying, you know, I wish you weren't going. You know, I, it was it was wonderful working with you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But imagine if you could get some of those messages on a more regular basis. Um, so that's that's where we came up with this gratitude themed retros. Mm, that's of, great one. Of that. I remember you and I worked for a company where the local shop ran out of goodbye cards. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm not making a comment on that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Next point, um, be aware of syndromes. So some examples were imposter syndrome, which I think most people know, but also the bossy syndrome. Oh, right. Um, so this is people being perceived as bossy rather than a leader. Um, and it's a very um, sexist-centric mm. um, syndrome. So you know, often um, women are, are perceived as being bossy rather than a strong leader. Mm. And, Ball buster. Yeah, that's right. Um, if, you, if you get the same, same message... Um, delivered from a man and a woman with exactly the same words, the same tone, etc. Yeah. One, the the ladies normally perceived as as bossy, mm. and the man seen as as a leader, mm. strong leader. Cultural stereotypes. Yes. Uh, Just so, out of interest, how many? What was the split between males and females in the audience? Did you notice? It was probably 60, 40, mm -hmm. 60 men. Mm -hmm. There was it was pretty close to to half half. Cool. I think. Um, and um, At least in my table areas. were there many? Was it? Were there many kind of questions to the speaker? Was it mainly discussion in breakout sessions? There were some questions to the speakers. Um, we had uh, normally 
tried to allow a good five to ten minutes after um, the session for discussion with the speaker. Um, otherwise, the speaker was normally wandering the cool. tables through. through I was going to ask if they well. pa- um, participated. Yeah, yeah, quite actively. Cool. But, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, the format format was great. How it, how it ran. Uh, the last one from Paula's talk was about being authentic, and um, it was yes, being authentic. What else should I say about that? You should be. She's actually very good, I think. She's a very good speaker and very authentic. Um, there is a certain size, I think, that you can do that format. So once you get to more and more people, it would be hard to have you know, meaningful breakouts. But when you did your breakout, did you just talk in your tables or did you do any kind of collective sharing afterwards? Um, there are a few. No, we did collective sharing afterwards. So each table present back um, to what they, what was their summary, their key takeouts mm-hmm. um, from it, which was was good to see across the tables. Um, we did a little bit, or some of the other tables did some more structured formats where, like, the the one two four eight um, structure that Venky was doing at the table near us, um, where you'd write down your own thoughts your key, key takeouts, and then compare them with one other person, so the two people together. Then those two would compare with another another two, and those four would compare to another four, mm-hmm. etc. So um, I know some of the tables were using different things, or a lean coffee approach, or others. We were just pretty fluid in our approach. Cool. How we went. And so then John Sully bought it home. So John Sullivan was the, the final presenter for the day. He talked about Agile 15 years on, and it's still just about the culture. Um, one of my key takeouts um, from this was basically challenge what, how you operate. Don't become complacent. Even the people who've been doing it for 20 years, don't become complacent that you think you know the right way or, or that the things you're doing are actually adding value. Mm-hmm. Actually, see if they are. Um, there we go. That's my 10-second my version. Cool. Uh, so some of the, the key things um, that John talked about was having realistic goals. Um, you can't change and do something completely differently and expect to be good at it straight away. So be realistic about how long it's going to take to change and the, the challenges that you face. Um, you know, First you need to become effective and then become efficient at how you operate. Um, and it, it'll take time. Mm-hmm. Um, use metrics to guide you along the way. Um, and try not to pick any metrics that can be gamed. Try and use metrics that come straight from tooling um, or from you know, some automated source rather than um, getting Scrum Masters to count the number of um, story points or some useless metric like that. Um, and they shouldn't be, yeah, it shouldn't be able to game them either. Mm. I did hear one thing about, I mean, I know you just said counting story points, but counting cards um, as a metric even if you game it, it actually results in the right behaviour. Yeah. yeah, well, you get small batch size. Yeah. Yeah, high throughput, small batch size. Yeah. There's, there's benefits to and, and the ability to, to throw away things that don't add value, et cetera, et cetera. So splitting things smaller is a good, is a good thing um, as a general statement. But, uh, yeah, so even if you do game, mm. <laughs> game it by the number of stories, it's, um, uh, it, it is better mm. uh, consequences. Uh, the next point was around the meaning of the practices and he had up on this, this slide of with the number 42 on there and I was just staring at the slide going, why does that make sense? And it took me a little while and worked out it was deep thought. 
Um, so, yes, thank you. That was good. Um, but most people don't apply deep thought to, to their practices and how they operate. Um, most people also, a lot of people weren't around or don't know the history of a lot of the Agile principles and where they came mm. from. Um, so stand-ups, for example. Mm. Um, John said, he goes, if a team stops doing stand-ups, I'm probably going to be pretty happy because it means that they're collaborating and they're, they're actually solving, resolving these problems and things that they would normally talk to at stand-ups earlier than, than when the stand-up would happen. I don't know if it means that, but anyway. Oh, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Yeah, if it's, <laughs> could if, mean if that. That's the, if that's why you're not having stand-ups, yeah, then right. that's a good thing. Um, but if you think back to the early days of, of, of Agile, um, you know, like from Agile Manifesto, those sorts of days, mm. it was in response to uh, you know, teams sitting a long way from each other or being split up. Um, and never talking and to never each other. never talking to each other mm. or only talking through documentation. So it was a response to that is the stand-up was a great thing. But if you're having a stand-up that's irrelevant or a stand-up that's too late to discuss things, even if it's daily, um, then that's a, a smell mm-hmm. as well. Um, he also talked about master craftsmanship over technology. So this is around crafting your engineering practices rather than um, blindly following practices or relying on technology. Um, yeah, so it's good to remember that a lot of the code that you write now um, could be disposed of quite quickly um, because it's you know, business conditions or disruption has changed mm. the need for what you built um, or it's significantly changed. So as long as you craft it in a way that, you can, that allows those sorts of things, you want to be careful not to over-engineer um, things. What other things did he talk about? He talked well, about team building mm-hmm. um, and how... Um, start with belonging so build your team with the people in the team um, seeing themselves as part of that team as a primary um, primary position and really building that that belonging um, to start with and you'll gain inclusivity and uh, and other benefits and things from there Um, don't try to start with this was a theme across the whole the whole uh, the whole um, day was was not focusing on practices and 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 how you do things mm. even principles it's start with culture mm-hmm. get the team to trust get the team to to belong to as part of a team mm. and grow from there get them to to start improving from that perspective from that baseline groovy and was everyone brain dead by then pretty much i was completely and utterly shattered by the end of the day um, i think it was a big week and um yes friday afternoon at four o'clock there wasn't many, uh, many neurons firing anymore. Yeah. Um, the one last point um, John had was around every company needs to start somewhere. Um, so start from where you are and head in a good direction. Don't try and over, overly plan out everything um, and, and where you can go from there. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, I'll say it again. Don't try and plan out everything uh, and then work toward that plan. Start from where you are and head in a good direction. Yeah. And start now. Hmm. Yeah, easy for him to say as well. He's done it a number of times in a number of different places. I think there's no substitute for having been there and seen seen some of those troubles and sort of, you know, you don't really know what to fix no. without experience. No, exactly. Um, so even if you do attend a Day of Agile Culture Conference, 
Yeah. Now, there's uh, the um, the application of change is is really important, and experience in that area is a huge advantage. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So you um, recommended? Yes, I'll give a thumbs up for recommendation. Absolutely. Value for money? Value for money? It was. It was, it was incredibly cheap. cheap. Yes, you it got was an early cheap. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and the what was the? Did they do any kind of sharing at the end or wrap up? We did. Um, we didn't really do a wrap up uh, as such. We did a bit of a retro at the end of the day to help improve the conference for next time. Oh yeah. Um, and they're very keen to do do more. Um, so I think it was quite a successful test. That's good. I'm um, so excited to see what the next one will look like. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess shout-outs. So Rajesh Mathur for actually uh, organising and running the, the concert in particular. And you'll find an episode of Rajesh talking about it uh, a few weeks ago on the weekly reboot. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yep. Um, facilitators and coordinators for the day, Dan Praga rhymes with Lager, <laughs> Rima Duck, uh, Andrew Dobson and Venki. Um, and then speakers, there was James Ross, Jordana Patterson, um, Paula Burton. Burton, and John Sullivan. Thanks very much. Well, Tony, thanks for, uh, thanks for your summary. Yes, it's a completely unplanned, unexpected summary, but <laughs> summary nonetheless. It's no, good it's to be good. on the podcast again. I know, it's lovely ages. to have you back. And uh, Betsy, Betsy, Betsy. Yes, the puppy's sleeping well, in the, the corner. At the minute that I want a little bit of dog interaction, she's comatose. <laughs> Alrighty, we'll leave it there and we'll see you again in our ears next Friday at four o'clock. Cool. Bye for now. Bye.